So let's just consciously start out with Christ on the throne. Yeah, right? Christ on the throne. Because what happens when Christ is on the throne? Let's say here is A. There are a lot of people named something that starts with A that have been hearing the gospel and very involved in everything this semester. So let's just say it. How are we going to reach him if Christ isn't on the throne, right? Christ has to reach him. So let's just pray and consciously ask him to take control and to be on the throne, to fill us with his spirit. And I hope that this will encourage you guys a ton. Shelby, you want to just pray and start us out? Yeah. That sound good? Um... Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for today. The weather was beautiful. Um, good job. Anyway, um, I just want to pray that we can start out this, uh, this study period um, learning about you and have you on the throne so that uh, we may reach the people on this campus and the people that you have put in our lives so that you may reach them through us, God. Um, just help us be a tool and keep you on the throne. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about the funnel diagram. How many of you guys... I think you can kind of tell the general flow of the funnel. What comes first? Me, people. Me. Okay, Brandon, no fair. Brandon's seen it. Andy's read the film playing like 17 times. That's an exaggeration. Okay, what comes after meeting people? Sharing. Sharing. Sharing the good news. Good. I think your funnel's too small. Ooh, it is. It's okay, I'm not going to go through all the possible results, but what happens after that? Let's say you've met people, you've you know started connecting with them a little bit, you shared Christ with them, and then after that, you're going to have to follow up. Yeah, follow up, right? And we were going to begin talking about follow up today, but we're going to take a break. We're about halfway into the semester, and so we're going to take a break and talk about something that makes a whole lot of sense, and that's avoiding burnout and staying motivated in this process. If, if you can't do that, the process is kind of meaningless, you know? It kind of dies if we can't avoid burnout and stay motivated towards this process. Okay, after follow-up though, or concerning follow-up, you're going to have two different types of follow-up, and we're going to hit those both separately. One is following up with people you've shared with that are not yet believers. The next would be following up with believers, right? And people that need to grow in their faith and need to be discipled and trained. Out of that comes... Or, yeah, alongside this, discipleship and Bible studies. Yeah, Bible studies, small groups. And the process goes on and on, and there's a lot more detail there. But we're going to eventually end up getting to things like action groups and multiplication and things like that before the semester ends. But today, we're going back to avoiding burnout and staying motivated in that process, which I think is super huge for all of us, all right? So, if you're correctly motivated, nothing is going to stop you, all right? If you're correctly motivated, nothing is going to stop you. The Merriam-Webster definition for motivation is something as a need or a desire that causes a person to act. Russ Aikens puts it this way, motivation is the measure of what it takes to overcome initial inertia and become activated towards some sort of accomplishment. Howard Hendricks said, the measure of man, have you guys heard this? I think I meant to share this with some of you. The measure of man, or the measure of a person, is what does it take 
get you going, and what does it take to stop you? It takes a whole lot to get you going, and very little to stop you, you're not much of a person. If it takes very little to get you going, and a whole lot to stop you, then you are someone, especially because of what God has done in your life, not just on your own. But you've actually really grown somewhere, and you've become mature, right? When it takes very little to get you going, and a whole lot to stop you. That's what a leader is. A leader is somebody that's willing to go when nobody else is willing to go. And they're willing to do things nobody else is willing to do, and they're willing to challenge people with things nobody else is willing to challenge others to, or to do themselves, right? And so it takes a lot of motivation to keep going if you're ever going to be a leader. And if you can't learn how to stay motivated, you're done for as a leader, right? I'm not saying as a person, but as a leader. So there are three different types of people. How many of you guys have heard this? There are people that make things happen. There are people that watch things happen. And then there are people that, remember this? that ask what happened, right? And my hope for each of you is that you'd be the people that make things happen. That you'd be the people for the rest of your lives that make things happen for God. And being completely frank and honest, statistically, your odds are very slim. Statistically, a lot of people get real fired up for God in school, and they're just at the apex of excitement about their faith. And then life hits, and kids, and family, and jobs, and this, and that, and, and little by little, you lose enthusiasm, you lose vision, you lose direction, you lose motivation. You might get burnout. You might have somebody in a ministry offend you a whole lot. It's going to happen here, I promise. I'm not that way intend to offend. I really don't. But inevitably, being humans, we're going to offend each other at some point. Things like that can, can tend to stop motivation and stop you dead in your tracks. And it's going to take a whole lot from you guys to keep pushing forward and saying, God, I'm going for it 100%. I'm not stopping right, until you come home or until I die. I'm going to keep going. That's my hope for you guys, is that the rest of your lives you would live a fulfilling, awesome, and very fruitful life for Christ on this planet. John 15, remember that? How he says that he will produce fruit new as you abide in him, right? And then in verse 16, fruit that will last. Okay, that's my hope for you guys. So there are two different types of motivation. There is extrinsic, oh man, this is already dying. There is extrinsic motivation. Brandon, would you fish some markers out of the bottom of this bag, please? Thanks. So there's extrinsic motivation. And then there is intrinsic. What do you guys think those mean, just looking at them right from the start? What would ex extrinsic, you could also call external motivation. Intrinsic, you could call motivated internal. By other people. You're motivated by other yeah, people. What you see. What you, you see. Hear. What you hear. Things on the outside, right? Yeah. Maybe you're motivated by results. Or you're motivated by the reward or what people might think about you. Or maybe negatively, you don't speak because you don't want to get a ticket. It's being externally motivated, right? The, the other type of motivation is internal or intrinsic motivation. That's being motivated from the heart. That's what we're aiming for here, is a motivation from the heart, where we're not in ministry for what people think of us. We're not in ministry for the results. That sounds awkward, but you're not in ministry for the people, right? That's weird. I'm not in ministry for any of you guys. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, this has to go to me and God, right? You guys are a blessing. You guys are huge. But you guys, you would do just fine if I wasn't here, I think, 
right? If you, if you guys had your eyes on Jesus, you'd do just fine. And um, I think for each one of us, we've got to get to a point where you say, this is me and God. I'm not going to do it because of the number of people that show up. I'm not going to do it because of this, the many people that talk about what an influence I was in their life. I'm not going to do it for, this is just me and God. And between me and God, I have to be faithful, right? That's internal motivation, and that's the kind of motivation that's going to keep you going till the day you die, or till the day that you are raptured and brought to heaven, or until Jesus returns. Okay? So, motives and motivation are often as important as the action itself. You guys remember seeing the Bama movie, At the Retreat? And it's a common theme throughout Scripture that our motives in any action are extremely important, as important as the action itself. So why do you do what you do? Think about that for a second. Maybe even write it down. Why do you want to serve God on this campus? Why do you do what you do? And as you think about that, I'll just tell you very honestly and vulnerably, I've caught myself many times doing ministry for other people. And that's not a good place to be. And it drains you. It really drains you. It kills you. It destroys your motivation. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. He is looking at our hearts, and he, he's interested in what's on the inside, not on what's on the outside, right? Matthew 15, 8, Mark 7, 6, say, Don't honor God through lips, right, when your heart is far from him. His desires that our heart would be in the right place. Just a few more verses here. Luke 6, 45, good actions come from the heart. Matthew 6 and Luke 12 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16, the love of God compels us to live for his purposes. That's great. Right? The love of God is what drives me and motivates me to serve him. And Ephesians 6, 6 through 7 says, Serve the Lord from the heart. So why do you serve the Lord? What's your motivation in all this? Right? Think that through. And as you think about that, I want to challenge you with this thought. This is a good thought, okay? This is, a, thank you, Brandon, by the way, for getting those out. This is, this is revolutionary, I think. I used to think motivation just came and went, and oh, it'd be so great if it stayed, and oh, it's so terrible when it leaves. And then it hit me, you are in charge of your motivation level. Does that make sense? God is not in charge of your motivation level. Right? The Holy Spirit isn't ever going, you know what, Jake? Sorry, buddy, but I'm not available today. I'm on a siesta. Come back tomorrow. That's not the Holy Spirit. He's always gung-ho, ready to go, right? But I'm in charge of my motivation level, right? It has a lot to do with that whole throne check. Am I going to let him work through me or not? Right? Your motivation level will fuel your ministry, okay? I should say the Holy Spirit will fuel your ministry, but your motivation level is going to keep you in step with him. Right? Focus and purpose are necessary for motivation. If you're not staying, and maintain, staying focused and maintaining focus, you're not going to stay motivated. Right? You can't be motivated towards nothing. Does that make sense? Right? You could just desire like crazy to be motivated, but you have to have a goal. So what's your goal? So why do you do what you do? Why, why do you serve God? And what, what are you doing? What is your goal in serving God? I hope this funnel diagram would be a good goal. It'd be a good process. A good way that you could think about fulfilling the Great Commission, right? So when you think about motivation being up to you, okay, and this is an important concept, I think, how do you preserve motivation and stay from a lack of motivation or keep from burnout? Okay, here it is. Cultivate motivation builders, right? And eliminate motivation barriers. It's that simple. If you can start to cultivate motivation builders in your life, you're going to stay motivated. And if you can eliminate the things that prevent motivation, it's also going to keep you motivated. So I want to go through a list of these today, and we're going to do it kind of 
short. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because we don't have a lot of time. But I think if you can consciously think about these motivation builders and these motivation barriers and think of those in terms of your life and cultivating the right ones and eliminating the other ones, you're going to find yourself preserving a high level of motivation in all that you're doing. And before we go there, gosh, guys, 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 23. Remember this story? Jonathan and his armor bearer, they see this opportunity to accomplish something great for God. And they say, gosh, what, what if God will do it? Let's just go see if God will do it, you know? Because it says, we'll stop him from saving, whether by many or by few. So they go and they take out all, all these Philistines. They were motivated to accomplish something in the face of great odds, which each of us are. Right? You can't ever just look at the opposition and say, I'm done. They were motivated. They had a strategy. They had a goal. They had a purpose. They had a vision, and they were going for it. They were also working as a team, which I hope you guys will be too, as you think of these motivation builders and motivation barriers. So the number one motivation builder, I think, is identity. Who are you? Do you know that? Do you know who you are? Because until you really have a concept of your identity, anything can be your goal or your purpose. Right? Anything can be why, why I'm here. Does that make sense? So know your identity. That's a motivation builder. The more confident you are in who you are in Christ, the more motivation you're going to have in serving him in the purpose that he's given you, which is the second goal, or the second motivation builder. Know your purpose. Right? What are you here for? Said SMART goals. I heard a great acronym for SMART goals a long time ago. It's specific, measurable, attainable. No. Specific, measurable, action-oriented, right? Realistic, and within a time frame. Does that make sense? Specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic, and within a time frame. That's the acronym. And it makes a lot of sense. Don't say, this year I plan to share my faith with every single student at Fort Lewis College. It's not going to happen. But set a smart goal. This semester, I plan to share my faith with 20 new people, or 10 new people, or two new people. I don't know where your step is. You know where your step is. Does that make sense, though? Or what if, Jake, we had a student once that would spend all night reading the Bible. He'd be dead tired the next day. <laughs> okay, That wasn't good. That's not a good goal. I'm read 14 hours a day. Right? Set measurable goals, realistic goals, with, that are action-oriented within a timeline that you can... Go back and evaluate and see how your progress has been. That's going to keep your motivation up by setting goals. If you don't, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You've probably heard that before, right? So we need to be setting goals within this funnel process, within the Great Commission, to accomplish all that God's called us to, right? Okay, next, eternal perspective. That was the whole theme of the retreat. Second Corinthians 14, right? We set our things, our, our, we set our eyes on things that are unseen, not on things that are seen. That's super important. What, what is all this about? Right? It's not about just making more money. Okay? Faith, remember? If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says faith produces work. Okay, that word work in the Greek actually means like an occupation. Does that make sense? An occupation. So the whole occupation of your life is a result of your faith. It doesn't mean your job. It's something far more than that. What is your life ambition? What is your life purpose? Why do you live your life for the things that you live your life for? Well, that's a result of your faith. If you're growing your faith, that's going to be inevitable. Hope, also, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says hope produces perseverance within that battle. If, if, gosh, isn't that true? Remember Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? He had that hope, the hope of each of you sitting here today, and that motivated Christ through the pain of the cross, right? Hope in him is going to motivate us, too. We don't hope in future good circumstances. That won't. You know, when those expectations are unmet, and we'll get to that in a minute, 
we're going to feel trash. But my hope is in Christ, and he'll never fail me. Right? He's my hope. Okay, and that's going to produce perseverance in this fight. Love, gosh, 1 Thessalonians 1.13 again. Love compels us to labor for God. Jesus said that again, John 14.15 and 15.14. Those two verses flip backwards, say pretty much the same thing. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And those who obey my commands are my friends, Jesus said. Okay, so that's the thing. Love is going to compel us to labor for God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, that, that word labor in the Greek literally means a striking or a beating too. Isn't that intense? So it's saying, if you love God, you're going to be motivated to do things that aren't easy for God. Right? Sometimes you're not going to feel like it. I didn't feel like coming to campus this afternoon at all. I felt so great. Right? Probably some of you guys didn't have to today. Right? You could have been out a little bit of a party. Yeah. So anyway, guys, uh, I think if, if you are cultivating your walk with God and loving him more, that's going to keep you motivated in the fight. And we're going to actually end on that, so I'm not going to go into it too much here. Grace, appreciation of God's undeserved kindness in your life. The more I realize how good God is to me, how could I not desire to serve him? Correct balance. Remember Luke 2.52? says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He had the intellectual, the physical, the social, and the spiritual parts of his life all in balance with each other. That kind of balance is going to create motivation because you're not just overwhelmed in one area. You're not sinking over here and, and not even in the water over here. Does that make sense? You're actually maintaining a balance in all those key areas of your life. Fellowship with other strong Christians is going to boost your motivation like you can't believe. Right? That's the whole point. If you look at Hebrews 10, 24, 25, spurring each other on to love and good deeds, that's true fellowship. True fellowship should always be spurring each other on towards action. Right? Did you have something? No. No? Okay. Sweet. I'm trying to keep up, but I'm... Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. We can, I you don't have a lot of time. I notes, too, to get just if you want all these. You don't have okay. to keep all the verses or anything. You even just write the one word. You know, that'll work. But I'll also send the notes. Yeah. And I'll put them online, too, as well. Okay? So, correct balance. Fellowship. Prayer. Gosh, you guys. Prayer. When you connect with God in prayer, that is going to boost your motivation beyond belief. Because you're, you're sharing his heart. Philippians 4, 6 is an important verse. Okay? God's word is going to motivate you. When you spend time with God's word, how could you not get motivated? Reading about what he's done in the past, and he's going to do again. When he's speaking to you, every time you open God's word, he speaks directly to us. Isn't that great? It's not a maybe, it's not an if. It's a guarantee. Maybe you guys have heard this. You only treat God as good as you treat his word. It's kind of convicting. <laughs> Right? I want to get in his word, and I know that's going to motivate me. Jesus alone is a motivator. Right? Just connecting with my Savior. Again, we'll, we'll focus on that later. His Holy Spirit, guys. Consciously walking, filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You have the God of the universe in you, Galatians 2.20, living his life through you. That will motivate you. Right? That will motivate you. He will motivate you, I should say. Now, look at Paul. I'm going to talk about some motivation barriers. And I want to ask the question, what will you let hinder you? So those, those things that I just listed, and I'll just run through them again really quickly here. Identity, purpose, goals, eternal perspective, faith, hope, love, grace, balance, fellowship, prayer, God's word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. All those things are going to boost motivation. All these things are going to destroy motivation. So let's not go there, right? So what are you going to let hinder you? Here's a little list about Paul, and, and he kept going. I want to be like this, guys. 
2 Corinthians 11 says Paul was imprisoned. He was near death. He was whipped five times with 39 lashes. He was beaten three times with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day treading water in the open sea. He had been in danger from everyone and everything around him. He had gone without sleep, been without food and water, been cold, and been naked. That's hardcore. And he kept on going. I love this. We've actually traced some of Paul's travels through, through, through Greece. We've actually done Thessaloniki, Berea, Athens. It's all in Acts 17, those three cities. And it's crazy because he goes to Thessaloniki, he gets run out of town with a lot of risk to his own safety. He goes to Berea, it's like 30, 40 miles away. He does the same thing that got him into trouble there. Initially, they accept him a lot. The Thessalonians finally come and they try and run him out of that town too. He goes to Athens, which is pretty far south. He does the same thing there. You read through the book of Acts in every single one of these cities, he does the same thing. If, if you were doing something, and every time you did it, you nearly got killed, wouldn't you kind of like shift? <laughs> See, I'm not doing it that way anymore. I'm going to be a little more sly. I'm going to be undercover. He was so bold. I'm going to go do the exact same thing again because I need to reach people for Christ. He was motivated in the face of a ton of adversity. And in fact, in the end of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, he even calls, I think it's verse 8, he says, a great and effective door for work has been opened to me in Ephesus with much persecution, or with much danger. Isn't that insane? So he's looking at the possibility for persecution. I think if you go to Acts 19, you'll actually see what happened in Ephesus, and it's very bad stuff, well, as far as persecution. But there was fruit there. And he was motivated because of what he saw. He was applying a lot of those motivation builders. And he wasn't letting these motivation barriers stop him. So here are the motivation barriers. Temptation and sin, right? Remember Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Those are going to weigh us down. They're going to keep us from hitting the goal. They're going to keep us from running towards the goal. So temptation and sin. Incorrect expectations are going to destroy motivation. When I start thinking, gosh, this year. Okay, here's an example. Our first, our first year on staff was not our first year here. We graduated from this school, okay? And the year before our first year on staff, we were associate staff. We had jobs, but we were up here you know, working with students almost every day of the week in our free time. And that last year before we officially joined staff, things were happening on this campus like you can't imagine. I, I yearn for the day that we will be there, right? We had 67 students trust Christ. We had over 70 students being individually discipled. Every single week, we had well over 100 students at Connect, you know? Um, we had over 150 at, at, at least once that semester. Our, our cross-training class had over 60 students a week doing discipleship classes. We had to split into five classes every Monday night to do cross-training because we couldn't fit in a room. You know? There were great things happening on campus. So my expectations were, golly, we're, you know, we're going to go full-time now. It's going to be even better. That next year, gossip and slander hit this ministry in a way that was disgusting. It shredded us to the core. I mean, shredded us to the core. Lies were coming from places you wouldn't imagine. Destroyed things, right? We went from almost 70 students to trusting Christ down to 11. We basically had to quit cross-training that year because there was nobody that wanted to do this discipleship training class. A lot of things bad happened. But see, my expectations had been it's going to be 200 a week, and then this happened. That produced tons of discouragement in me. Does that make sense? It was hard to stay motivated. And in the middle of that year, Russ sat me down. He was almost aggressive with me doing some good staff development. He's going, Nate, I feel like you're, like you're not satisfied in ministry right now. 
I'm thinking, you're some kind of a nut? Like, of course I'm not satisfied ministry. And Russ was going after the heart. God is working in people's lives right now. Be thankful, be satisfied with what God is doing in people's lives, right? right? Don't let your expectations destroy your motivation. That was a lesson I needed to learn. There's a lot of great stuff that happened. One of the freshmen that semester is a missionary right now in Estonia. He's, he was one of the first guys I got to disciple on staff. And there are a lot of other great stories like that of students that, that came up at that point in the ministry. And they're serving God all over the world. Those are great stories, right? Okay, past failure can destroy your motivation. I failed last time. I'm not going to give it a shot this time. What about fear? Maybe you've ever let fear stop you from motivation. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Right? So we are called to live fearless lives. Side plug, do a crush fear project this summer. It'll be awesome. Okay? Um, burnout will destroy your motivation. And we'll end on that too. Lack of knowledge. Right? Just not knowing. Not having the training. Not having the preparation. Not having the tools. That will prevent your motivation. That's why this class, I think, is valuable. Because you won't have a lack of training. Right? Okay. Letting your feelings control you. Your emotions control you. I'm not saying that emotions and feelings are bad. God was emotional many times through Scripture, and He created us as emotional beings. But those have to surrender, like every other aspect of ourselves, to His will and to His word. Right? Our knowledge has to do that, our mind has to do that, our body has to do that. And we got to keep those in check. And if we don't, we can get way off track fast. Sometimes you are not going to feel like doing ministry. Okay? Alright, comfort zones. That's those two walls. What does it take to get you going, and then what does it take to stop you? Remember that? Those two walls. Okay. Those two walls, the space in between is called your comfort zone. That's why we always want to be pushing those two walls back and back and back. I took a guy hunting last year and we shot two elk. The furthest point from our car we could get him. And it was a mess. We took, we had to take multiple trips to get him out. After the first trip out, he looked at me and he said, I am not going back down there. <laughs> And I said, yes, you are, because <laughs> I'm not doing it alone. And anyway, what I told him was this diagram. I said, if you don't go back down there, you're choosing to not grow. You're choosing to stay in your comfort zones. But I said, I don't feel like that. Let's go down there. Let's expand this comfort zone. Let's tell ourselves that we can do more than we feel we can do. Right. And we feel comfortable with it. Okay? So your comfort zones are going to destroy your motivation. So expand you get a chance to do something uncomfortable, do it. Almost just for the sake of expanding comfort zones, okay? Circumstances can destroy motivation. Things not happening the way I planned. Things today, I know it's getting deleted right before this, right? There was a circumstance that impeded my motivation. Rationalization, explaining away the truth, playing these mind games. Like Brandon was talking about last week, I really don't need to share my faith. You know, I really have done that all day. I did break. And then he pushed through that rationalization, and these three girls came to know Christ. What an awesome story. Okay, and finally, the last one that I'm going to put here, uh, procrastination. Putting off what I should do now for later. That creates the tyranny of the urgent. Something that wasn't urgent before is urgent now because I put it off so long. And now it destroys my motivation for everything else God's calling me to do right now. Okay, does that make sense? Get a schedule. That'll solve that problem. That's by no means a conclusive list, guys, but those are some things that will really hurt you as far as your motivation goes. Temptation and sin, expectations, incorrect desires, past failure, fear, burnout, unbelief, lack of knowledge, feelings that are uncontrolled by His Spirit. 
comfort zone, circumstances, rationalization, and procrastination. Now, what are the results of correct biblical motivation? Philippians 2.21 is probably the saddest verse in the Bible. You remember this? It says everyone looks out for their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. That's not what we want to do. Right? We want to live for his purposes. Right? If I'm staying motivated, that's going to be the result. Living for his purposes, not my own. Right? Your character is going to get developed. The more you stay motivated in this process of the Great Commission, your character gets developed. You become a whole lot more like Jesus. Isn't that an exciting thought? Right? Every time you expand those comfort zones, you're looking a little more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus, a little more like Jesus, and you're staying a little more focused in the fight, right? Your conviction gets built. Every time you choose to stay motivated and choose to eliminate the motivation barriers, your character gets built. I'm much more of a person than I was before. It takes a whole lot to get me stopped, and it takes very little to get me going. Does that make sense? Your character is getting developed. You're walking in integrity. You're walking as an example of Christ to people around you, right? Proper motivation prevents burnout. If you're maintaining motivation constantly, maintaining your balance, maintaining all these things, maintaining your walk with God, eliminating these barriers, you're not going to hit these pitfalls of burnout that plague people in ministry. Oftentimes, those are where people get into a lot of trouble, too, when they're burning out. Does that make sense? Right? If you stay motivated, you're going to have perseverance for the long run. You will be able to stand before God someday and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You stay strong for the long haul. You didn't give up. You didn't quit when it was hard, right? But you stayed going. Right? You're going to have an effective, meaningful, productive, and fruitful life for Jesus. Right? A life that so many people never even get to see. Oh, it's so sad. Right, guys? It's so sad. So the bottom line, he is worthy, isn't he? Isn't he worthy? Right? Revelation 5, 12, Philippians 3, 7. Philippians 3, 7. Holy cow. Everything else is trash compared to him. So why am I doing this in the first place? Man, he is so worthy. He saved me. Right? He's claimed me. He's purified me. I'm righteous. I'm perfect in his sight because of Jesus. He is so worthy of everything. Everything I could possibly do for him. He's God. He made you. Right? He made me. He's worthy of our lives. He saved us. He develops us. He's given us gifts. That's so cool. And he continues to give us gifts. As a Christian, you have spiritual gifts that areas that he's enabled you, that he hasn't enabled Brandon over here. That's a good thing. And then beyond that, he tells us in James, that he is the Father that gives us good gifts. Every good and perfect thing comes down from him. Right? He's always giving us good gifts. He provides for us. He sustains us. Gosh, after six and a half years in full-time ministry without a guaranteed paycheck, you know, realizing that in this hardcore recession, my bills are still paid, I got a check in the mail for six hundred and twenty-five dollars yesterday. Oh. I get it yesterday, yesterday was Anyway, got my hands yesterday. I don't know where it was before then. But God provides for our needs. Is that not sweet? Right? And He provides for your needs too. Right? Look at your relationships that you have now. You're loved. You're accepted. People around you desire your fellowship. Right? It's all because of Him. He is so worthy. So here's the motivation cycle. Right? We talked about eliminating barriers, cultivating the motivation builders. And here is the cycle that I want you guys to remember as you leave. James 4, 8, draw near to God, he draws near to you. That's pretty good. You get in the word, you get in prayer, you get in fellowship. Those are huge motivators, but they're ultimately your walk with God. 
Six, Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. Right? So as you draw near to him and he draws near to you, you're in his presence, you have fullness of joy. There's a lot of motivation there. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Does that make sense? You draw near to him, there's fullness of joy, his joy is your strength. That's the motivation that keeps you going. Does that make sense? Isn't that good? Right? When you feel like you don't have that strength, you go and you draw near to him. You experience his joy, his joy is your strength. It's a cycle that keeps building you up, right? His Holy Spirit fills us with joy, fills us with motivation. His divine power, 2 Peter 1.3, has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Right? So I lack nothing. I used to be in churches where they'd say, raise your hand if you need a double portion of the Holy Spirit. You know, at the time I didn't catch it, but now I think, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, guys. There's nothing lacking. He is fully in you. He, the Holy Spirit is not the limiting factor. <laughs> okay? My, my flesh is the limiting factor. Right? I have, I, you cannot get more of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is fully there. You can choose to walk more in his fullness every day, right? I used to, at the, at the same churches, you know, and sometimes in my church I'll still hear things like this, and I'm not going to be critical, because, you know, you guys probably hear me saying stuff that you catch too. Come tell me if you do, too, by the way, because <laughs> that'll keep me from making that mistake later. But, um, gosh, have you guys ever heard this? Raise your hand if you just need a touch today. You're not going to get a touch from God by raising your hand, right? You get a touch from God by what? near to him, he'll draw near to you. In his presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Does that make sense? I press into him, I press into him, I press into him, and he fills me, and he controls me, and he energizes me, and he motivates me towards his purposes. That's pretty good. So I want to contrast a few different people in scripture, and then we're just going to close it out. I'm going to not get through all these notes today, but it'll be good. I just really want you guys to contrast and compare these different figures in Scripture. And I love how Scripture is so honest about different people. Moses, Exodus 3, verses 4 through 6. There's a connection with God, right? God's talking to him, he's calling. Exodus 3, 7 through 10. He gets called to do something huge. Something bigger, probably, than he could have ever have imagined. I think the same is true for each of you. You guys, I hope, when you die you'll have the most effective life of any college students that have ever lived. Right? I hope, not that it's competitive, I hope you stand on Bill Bright's shoulders, people like that, and see God do even greater things. Right? Not because of you, but because of him and because you're willing. Uh, Moses gets that kind of call, right, from God. And what does he say? Exodus 3.11. Who am I? Have you ever thought that? Who am I, God? I'm just showing you. I can't do anything, God. What are you talking <laughs> to me for? Right? <laughs> Exodus 3.13, who shall I say sent me, right? So who am I? Who are you, God, right? Exodus 4.1, maybe you've thought this. What if they don't believe me? What if my class thinks I'm stupid? What if people around me think I'm a lunatic? Exodus 4.10, I'm not eloquent. <laughs> He's going for all excuses. And what does Moses end it on in verse 13? God, please just send someone else. Please send me that. Have you ever felt that way? He was not motivated, right? <laughs> Came up with every imaginable distraction, every imaginable excuse. Tried to get out of it. Gosh, I'm done with you guys. Like, please don't send me. Please send Leah. Please send Aaron. Please send someone else. You guys get this quote, and God illustrated this marvelously in the life of Moses. Your weaknesses, failures, and inabilities present no challenge to God's plan for your life, but your willingness does. 
There's nothing about you right now that's going to stop you from being who God made you to be. But if, if you decide not to be willing, then that'll stop you. Right? If you're willing, if you're just saying, God, here I am, I'm ready, you're going you're gonna to see him do great things. That's what happened with Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6, 1 through 4? There's this call again. God calls Isaiah to something great. Isaiah 6, 5 through 7 is, uh, is a sweet verse. It describes Isaiah's attitude. And then what does 6, 8 say? Remember that? Here am I, send me. Yeah. Remember Moses saying, send someone else. And then Isaiah's going, God, I'm here, send me. I want to be used for your purposes. Don't you want that attitude? Don't you want to say, God, here am I, send me. Use me for your purposes. That's the internally motivated attitude. I just want to be used for your purposes. Think about John the Baptist, guys. This is cool. In Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.7, Luke 3.16, John 1.27, Acts 13.25. Five times in the Gospels. I, don't, I can't think of any other story that's told five times in the Gospels. Right? Five times in the Gospels we're told, uh, and, and the book of Acts, we're told that John the Baptist... When Jesus approached him to be baptized, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. You know, what are you coming to me for? For baptism. Does that make sense? And sometimes each of us look at ministry as a duty or something that we begrudgingly have to do. Right? Oh, I have to share my faith. I don't feel like sharing my faith. Right? All right, I have to be a Bible study. I have to, I have to, have to, have to, whatever. I want John the Baptist's attitude where I can say, God, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. You know? In 1 Corinthians 3.9, you've called me to be a co-laborer with you. Right? I get to work alongside you. God, and I shouldn't even be able to stand alongside you. But you've called me to be on the same page, to be working together. I want to see his call to ministry and to winning this world for Christ, to the Great Commission. I want to see that with the same kind of attitude that John the Baptist had. Or his disciples in Acts 5, do you remember this? Where the disciples, they, they rejoiced that they'd been counted worthy to face persecution for Christ. Do you believe that? Gosh, man, I want that attitude, don't you? I'm not begrudgingly doing my duty of the day, but, but instead thankful and amazed that God would ask me to be a part of what he's doing. That's exciting. I think if we can have that attitude, we're going to stay motivated to winning this campus for Christ, and to making multiplying spiritual multipliers, right? Sending students from here, they're going to multiply until Christ comes back. Now, check out Elijah's example. This is so cool. Sometimes when God does do great things, you are going to have burnout, right? That's why I want to end on burnout. And Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, sees probably the greatest miracle one of the top five miracles in the Bible. It's phenomenal. Fire coming down from heaven, consuming this waterlogged sacrifice. Remember that? Pretty phenomenal story. Pretty amazing miracle. I didn't drink much of my coffee. Unbelievable. And uh, I love coffee. So Elijah sees this sacrifice consumed with fire from heaven. All the prophets of Baal are destroyed and killed. And what happens? Jezebel, this woman, freaks out and says, I'm going to kill you. Okay. What would you do if you just saw fire come down from heaven and consume a sacrifice covered with water, and then every enemy of God in the region murder? And somebody goes, oh, Jake, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. 
What would you say? Are you kidding me? Did you not just see what happened? Wouldn't, right? Wouldn't you be thinking, fire from heaven? <laughs> do you want to be next? <laughs> right? But what does he do? In 1 Kings 19, he flees into the desert. He's so scared of what this one woman said to him. Right? He finds a tree. He lays down under the tree. And he says, kill me, God. Kill me. I'm no better than my ancestors. This guy's having major burnout. I think that you will encounter major burnout after major successes in ministry. I'm just saying be ready. We had to raise a million dollars to start this great commission training center. It came through. It happened in two months. I thought, I thought, gosh, that's the most exciting thing that's ever happened. And it's like instantly inside, I had to deal with burnout for several months. Does that make sense? It's weird. I think it's a natural process. I think it's what Elijah experienced. You will find this in ministry. Times of burnout. So when you get there, don't feel like you're all alone, okay? Because you're not, you're not all alone. Everybody has to deal with that. Now here's what I want to encourage you with. As Elijah is sleeping in his depressed state of asking God to kill him, <laughs> right? This suicidal desire. As he's sleeping there, an angel wakes him up and gives him some bread and some water. It says, eat this bread, drink this water. Gets up, he looks around, he sees it, he eats this bread, he drinks this water, he falls back asleep, the angel wakes him up again, he eats some more, drinks some more. And that energized him for the next 40 days of travel through the wilderness. It's pretty awesome, huh? Right? We go backpacking, and I have yet to find a dude that will energize me through 40 days of backpacking. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I haven't found it yet. Not even clip bars. Okay? But this did, and I, I used to say, God, give me some of that spiritual bread and water. Give me some of that spiritual bread and water, right? When I'm burnt out. And it hit me. Remember what Jesus says in John 4 to this woman at the well? Right? If you drink the water I give, you'll never thirst again. Remember what he says in John 6? Right? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He'll never thirst again. John 7, he says that out of us will flow rivers of living water as we push in him. And just like Elijah guys, God met his needs with bread and water that sustained him. Just like he did the same for the Israelites in the desert, giving them manna from heaven, water from the rock. Each one of us, when we do hit that point of burnout, the answer, again, like in every other situation, is to press into Jesus, to press into Jesus, to press into Jesus. And he will be what sustains me. He will keep me going. Okay, Mark 6, 30 through 31. This is, this, and then one more verse. Okay, we have been on two good verses that tie this together. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Okay, you ever feel like that in ministry? You probably will, if you haven't been there yet, right? If you're doing the funnel diagram, if you're doing the Great Commission, you're going to get to a point where you feel like, I'm running so hard, I do not even have time to eat. Leah's probably been there this semester, several times, right? And when we get to those places in ministry where we're racing so fast we don't even have time for ourselves, Jesus says, come away from, with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Connect with me. I am your source. You need me. And then in Luke 10, 38 through 42, this is the story of Mary and Martha, right? What, what's, what's Martha doing? 
the story. She's doing things that need to be done. Right? She's not just doing stupid stuff. She's not wasting her time. But there are real things that really need to be done. And her sister, Mary, is sitting at the foot of Jesus, just spending time with him. And Martha's saying, Jesus, get her off her feet. Get her, or get, her, get her in here with me. I need some help. And Jesus says, she chose the one thing that matters, and it's not going to be taken away from her. So the one thing that matters as you think about staying motivated for a lifetime of ministry is Jesus. He is it. If you will not neglect that one thing, if you will get away with him and get some rest, you will stay motivated. If, you will, if he will be your bread and water, you will be sustained in ministry. Isn't that good? So I hope that encourages you. It's totally a topic that I didn't even plan on bringing up during this class, but it's where I'm at right now, and I think it's good. I think it's something that we all need in ministry. So I'm going to just pray and close it out, and we're going to head to Bible study. Okay. So God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you that you've called us each to lifetimes of serving you. And I thank you, God, that your commands are not burdensome, God, but it's a joy to be able to serve you. God, you are so good to us to invite us to work alongside you in spite of our sin, in spite of our pride, in spite of our failures, God, in spite of our fears, in spite of our shortcomings, our inabilities, our weaknesses, God, in spite of our peculiarities even. God, you even tolerate those. You are so good. God, to work alongside us, and I'm just so thankful for that, God. Forgive me for the times that I have not, that I've not found joy in serving you, God. Forgive me for the times that I've not desired to serve you, God. Give me a greater heart to make a difference for you till the day I die. And I pray that for every one of us in here. And God, as we sit here on Fort Lewis College on the campus, God, give us a greater heart for winning this campus to you. I thank you for what you're doing, God. I thank you for all the students that have been hearing about you, students that are so close to putting their trust in you. Put them in your hands, God. Bring them to yourself. We love you, Jesus. And as we close, thank you for dying on the cross, paying for each of our sins so that we can even stand here as your children today. We love you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.